You remember a few weeks ago, we circulated a list of 20 topics that you could choose from for our top 10 preaching sermons, preaching series over the summer. So if you, do you remember that? 20 topics, you choose the top 10, whichever one's got the most votes would be the topics we're going to preach through for the summer, all right? So then, I'm, I'm going to tell you what the top 10 are, all right? Anyone? No, I won't do a guess because people at home can't hear us. All right, number 10. Number 10 sermon was tied. Tied. So one was, now number 10 was tied, was responsibility of the poor and homeless, and is abortion wrong in all cases? Number nine was social justice. Number eight was gender issues. Number seven was how do I find the wisdom of God? Number six is women in church. Number five is why is God's will so hard to figure out? Number four was matters of conscience. Number three was cults and false teaching. Number two was predestination. And number one, drum roll please. Number one, just like that horse that won the Kentucky Derby, coming from the back because it wasn't even in the picture in the beginning, was end times. There you go. When we did the, when the first, we had like 60 or more votes, and end times was way back in the pack. And then as the votes kept coming in, I'm still working through the matzah. As the votes kept coming in, in times, charged the front and won the race, all right? So that's our, that's our teaching topics for the rest of the summer. Now, not necessarily in that, in that order, and the really hard ones, Steve is going to preach, all right? <laughs> I think we had about 90, Steve, 90 votes. Yeah, that's a good number, 90 votes. Now, next week is a baptism service, so y'all come, bring your favorite chairs, bring your suntan oil, bring something to eat at the picnic later. We're going to be outdoors. Steve will tell you more about that after the service, but next week is baptisms outdoor, and then two weeks from now, we'll start the series, all right? So, have you ever done, this is the sermon part now, finally, okay? Have you ever done a Bible study or some other type of assignment where you were told to read something and then summarize it? And it's especially terrible when they limit the number of words you're allowed to use in your summary, right? And inevitably, when you've done your very best to summarize whatever it is you're supposed to be working on, and you share it, somebody always goes, well, what about this? Or what about that? You know what I mean? So you always leave something out, and someone always wants to point that out to you, right? Well, in 2012, the Gospel Coalition, which is supposed to be the people who know everything, kind of, you know what I mean? Um, the Gospel Coalition people... They said, we want to share, summarize the Bible in less than 311 words. I don't know why 11 words were added to the 300, but that's what they did, all right? They did a fine job. Nothing wrong with it. I'm sure not going to say they left anything out because I just said that's really bad when they do that. But they came up, they did their summary, and then they admitted it was really hard to figure out what to leave in and what to, and what to, to include and what to leave out. Our passage today is exactly that. Our passage today is the most concise summary of the message of the Bible you can find. And Jesus taught it. So who's going to harass him about leaving anything out? You know what I mean? Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Now... 
As it's translated in the New American Standard, this concise summary is only 19 words. And actually, you could say it's only 11 words because the last eight words are, this is my summary of the Bible. So Jesus has boiled this down to 11 New American Standard words. All right, so let's read it together. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. That's it right there. And he says, for this is the law and the prophets. That's it. J.B. Phillips, he translated this verse and says, treat other people exactly as you would like to be treated by them. And this is the essence of all true religion. This passage is commonly known as the golden rule. Luke 6, verse 31, Galatians 5, 14, they, are both, they both also um, restate this same rule a little bit differently because there they say, there they, they, they are the passages that talk about you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, the same principle is found in Mark 12 and 31 where there it says, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Matthew 22, 31, 39 also and then Romans 13, 8 and 9. Um, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All these, the loving your neighbor as yourself and, and doing to others as you want to be done to yourself, that's all in the same ball of wax. And this is called the golden rule because there's a legend that says Roman Emperor Servius was so taken by the simplicity of the statement and the scope of how it applied to all aspects of life that he adopted it as his motto. And he had it written on the walls of his palace in gold. Therefore, you have a golden rule, all right? And what's interesting about the golden rule is that its values and its importance seem to be recognized beyond religious or spiritual context that we experience it in, that we, we uh, interact with it in. Many consider the, the golden rule as a humanist principle. Now think about that. There are many humanists, that means people who don't believe in a God, that believe that man is the center of the world and everything evolves and, and flows out of the wisdom and the intelligence of men. Many humanists would say that the golden rule should be included in humanist thought and philosophy. I read that, honest, I read, I read that. And um, the golden rule is arguably the most essential basis. Matter of fact, one of them said, the golden rule is arguably the most essential basis for the modern concept of human rights. You'll even find the, the golden rule in economics. Richard Swift is an author for a magazine called The New Internationalist. It's a nonprofit publication that focuses on um, immigration, on economics, on climate change, on human rights, war and peace, and all you know, topics of that nature. In writing about David Graeber, David Graeber is an anarchist and an economist um, who was kind of at the forefront of the Occupy Wall Street movement back about 10 years ago. And, and, David, and he says that without some kind of reciprocal living, there we go, thank you, society would no longer be able to exist. And he's referring to this whole thing about doing to others as you want them to do unto you. He says, without that kind of principle, society would not be able to exist. 
That's coming from an anarchist. Pretty interesting, isn't it? So the impact of the golden rule has been evident for centuries and, and, all, and spans all walks of life, religious and non-religious. Now, having said that, all that background and letting us know the scope of it, let's look more closely at the passage. Obviously, there you see it. It starts out with therefore. And in this passage, this therefore, whenever we're supposed to be looking back to see what it's, it's incorporating in this comment or in this thought, the therefore looks back to, usually you would look at the immediate verses just preceding it, perhaps. And so you would look and say, well, this has to do with the, with the encouragement to pray, ask, seek, and serve, or it has to do with judge not lest you be judged. But really, when you, the other clue in this passage is that in this passage it says, it's, Jesus speaks about the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is spoken about in the Sermon on the Mount again in Matthew 5, verse 17. Flip over there, flip back in your Bible, your device there. And there in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus has just gone through the Beatitudes, and he's wrapped up that introductory comments to the Sermon on the Mount, and then he transitions, and he goes, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, but I, came, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And then he begins to teach. And so from verse, chapter 5, verse 17, to chapter 7, verse 12, he teaches this collection of, of principles that he says, if you're going to come into my kingdom with me as my follower and as one of these kingdom citizens, this is who you are. This is the way you should behave. This is what should characterize you. And so that, therefore, I think encompasses all of that. So it summarizes the entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. Notice what, teaches, what Jesus is teaching about in this section. He teaches about, if you just want to start there in 5.17 or in that area, he teaches about reconciliation, humbling yourself to someone who has an offense against you. He teaches about lust and divorce and hate and murder and honesty and keeping your promises. He, he talks about the eye for the eye and retaliation. He talks about benevolence to others. You know, giving the shirt off your back, going the extra mile. He talks about loving your enemies. Are those who oppose you? Are those who have, uh, you know, they perhaps have hurt or, broke, or you know, um, have attacked you perhaps. He talks about forgiving others. Right there, he says, for if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He talks about judging others. And judging yourself. And notice that in all those principles, he talks about relationships. All those principles apply to relationships. They apply to how we engage with each other. And you notice also, if you were to look further, you would see that in those principles, others are always taking precedent over ourselves. Now, there's a flip side of this rule that many would consider common sense. Don't do anything to others you don't want done to you. You know, you don't want to shortchange somebody if you don't want to be cheated yourself. You don't want to slap somebody if you don't want to get slapped. You don't want to yell at somebody if you don't want to get yelled at. But you see, that's really nothing special. Some of my, my rabbit holes that 
I spend too much time in sometimes are those little video clips of lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Those African ones, you know, and where the lions are attacking things or are getting attacked. And let me just tell you something. Those small animals don't go up and poke a lion in the nose because they don't want to get eaten. See, that's the same thing as don't do to others if you don't want it done to yourself. But no animal out there says, I'm going to treat this larger animal the way I want to be treated. You see, that common sense thing, even the animals do that. Even the animals don't treat others because they don't want it to happen to them. But most humans don't treat others the way they want to be treated. That's what separates the golden rule apart from so many, from all other principles of relationships. While it is unique to us, it is normal for God, and God wants it to be normal for his followers. Barclay, in his commentary, says, the attitude which says, I must do no harm to people, is quite different from the attitude which says, I must do my best to help people. You see the difference? However you want to treat people, so however you want to be treated, so treat them. Notice the scope of this. It's people. That's the word. There's not a lot of words in here. There's not a whole lot to parse out. There's not a whole lot to figure out. It's very straight to the point. But it's interesting because so many of us are familiar with it that we read this and we think it says, if you want to be treated nicely, be nice to others. And it goes far deeper than that. It goes far deeper than that. Note this, the scope is people. That's what he says there. He does not say, and again, this is what Jesus is doing in, in throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He is telling us that we treat others better than we treat ourselves. And he even says, you go so far as treating your enemies better than yourself. And so here he is. He says, treat people. Those people, guess what? In the Greek, people means people. How about that for a tricky one, all right? Male, female. Black, white, brown, Asian, white collar, blue collar, Democrat, Republican, Buddhist, Muslim, Catholic, Baptist, gay, straight. The principle applies to all people. He didn't categorize people in the passage. He said people. It applies to all people. Treat all people the way you want to be treated. Didn't say whether you liked them. Didn't say whether they like you. It says treat them the way you want to be treated. And remember that this applies to you and I. Anyone who calls himself a Christian, anyone who says, I follow Christ, this is what's expected of us. There is no exception clause in here. There is no footnote in there. There's not another passage in the Bible that says, well, but, or if. It's just this. There's no out. There's no exit ramp. This is it. If you say you're a Christian, this is the standard of conduct. This is how you're supposed to think and respond to other people in your life. If you say you can't or you won't do this, then you're wrong. We just need to say it. Then you're in sin. If you say my situation is an exception to this, that's not true. There's not an exception in this. It applies to you. J.C. Ryle says, we are to deal with others as we would like them to deal with us. This is real Christianity. It does not merely forbid any petty, uh, it does not merely forbid all petty malice and revenge 
all cheating and overreaching. It does much more. It settles a hundred different points, which in a world like this are continually arising between man and man. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees have done, right? 600 plus rules to manage their lives. And he goes, it eliminates all those little rules. One rule. It sweeps the whole debatable ground. It sweeps the whole debatable ground. All these little petty things with one mighty principle. One other commentator says, how we treat others is not to be determined by how we expect them to treat us or how we think they should treat us, but how we want to be treated. Selfless love does not serve in in order to prevent its own harm or to ensure its own welfare. It serves for the sake of the one being served, and it serves in in, in the way it likes being served, whether or not we ever get that in return. Did you get that? So it'd be very easy for this pastor to say, well, you know what? I'm going to serve you because this is how I want you to serve me. But the thing is, is there's no promise that you'll ever get served that way back. Notice, this is not about how we get served. This is how we want to be served gauges how we serve others. This is not one of those kind of like, if you do this, you get that. That's the other thing. Isn't that interesting how we read Scripture? We boil this down to being nice, and then we say, well, if I want people to be nice to me, I have to be nice to them. It didn't say that. It didn't say that. It said, serve others the way you want to be served. And then it didn't guarantee you anything in return. Nothing at all. Thinking this golden rule, thinking of how you want to be treated, should be the filter for all of our actions. Do I want to be spoken to this way, the way I just did? This week I had to, I had to take, I had that little issue with me and the way I spoke to Betty this week, you know, so it's real, all right? It's real life I'm talking about here. Do I want to be ignored or overlooked the way we do the poor, the needy, the homeless, the different, the hard to love, even right here in our own church? Would I want to be left in my chair here in this church and have no one sit with me and no one even give me a simple hello, how are you? Would I want that to happen to me? Then what does that mean I should do for that person who's sitting alone by themselves each and every Sunday morning? How do you want to be treated? How do you want to be treated? Well, that's the way the gay person wants to be treated. That's the way the black dude with the BLM t-shirt wants to be treated. That's the way the guy with the NRA jacket wants to be treated. That's the way the Democrat, the Republican, the Communist, the Anarchist wants to be treated. That's how the sanitation guy wants to be treated. The one that's cleaning up the bathroom. That's how the disabled person wiping tables at Wendy's wants to be treated. That's how the person who has an odor about themselves wants to be treated. Or the person who suffers with mental illness and you don't know how to relate to them, you don't know what to say to them, that's how they want to be treated. That's how the people with cognitive disability wants to be treated. That's how the unwed single mom with her child wants to be treated. However you want to be treated, that's how they want to be treated. 
That's the divorced dad that feels like he has a loser mark or some kind of stain on him in the local church because he's divorced. That's how he wants to be treated the way you want to be treated. That guy or that gal that just took another drink or a hit last night and walked in here today, they want to be treated the way you want to be treated. The person that just keeps on making one bad choice after another, that's how they want to be treated, the way you want to be treated. The person caught in sin, all these scenarios and so many others, if it was you in any of these situations, how would you want to be treated? Think about it. Pray about it. And then treat those people that way. If you're struggling with sin in your life and it, is, and it was easily seen or known, would you want others to be sneering at you, avoiding you, changing the way they treat you? No. You'd want your friends to come up to you and say, I love you no matter what. They might not understand, but they want to help you. You would, want the, you would want to know that they're praying for you. That's something we as a church have a real difficulty in doing. That when we feel like someone else is wrong, we don't know if we're supposed to like them or love them or stay with them or touch them or hug them or anything. I'm just saying, treat them the way you'd want to be treated. That's the simple answer. That's the simple answer. It's not hard. Except for unless you don't want to do it. Then it's very hard, isn't it? If you were coming to church on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, week after week, and no one engaged you or sat with you, how would you feel? How would you want to be treated? In your home, if you've been hurt by your parents, I'm talking to students now, or in your home, if you're an adult and you've been hurt by those parents that you're taking care of now, if you're in a home and you've been hurt by your spouse, how should you respond? If you've been wronged at work, how should you respond? If your neighbor Moses on at 7 a.m. on a Saturday, how should you respond? All right? That one was real life right there, okay? It was a pressure washer in my neighborhood. Okay. I, I teach from real life, folks. That's all I got to say. One commentator said the application of this rule would put a stop to all injustice and wrong. For none of us would do injustice or wrong to ourselves. And we are to treat our neighbor as if he were ourself. He's talking about this on a global application, on a global, you know, scale. It would lead us to seek the highest good of all men, whether even the lowliest, for we surely want all men to seek our good. The thorough applying of this golden rule would end all conflict between employees and employers, for it would give the employer a deep, loving interest in the men he employs and lead them to think of their good in all ways. It would also give every employee a desire for the prosperity of his employer and an interest in his business. It would end all strife in families and communities among nations. The perfect working of this rule everywhere would make like heaven, for the will of God would then be thy will on, on thy be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jerry said last week, Jesus is our example and our standard and who we follow and we emulate. 
do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit, Philippians 2. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Don't you think he saw people with a need? He said to his disciples about, he taught about giving up your own life for others and your life, didn't he? And he was the extreme, supreme example of that. He saw in us people who needed grace, forgiveness, mercy, compassion. He saw people who needed hope. And he came and he gave that to us. Now, who in your life needs that as well? Who do you need to love this way in the same way, with the same intensity that you love yourself? Because that's what Jesus is telling us throughout this Sermon on the Mount, time and time again. He is pointing to us and he's saying, this is who I am and I'm calling you to be like me. And then, in so many words, he goes, and this is what it all boils down to. To love others the way you would want to be loved. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, this entire Sermon on the Mount has been just one challenge after another to our hearts and to the way that we live and to this standard of you that is so far and apart from us. And so we come today asking seeking, knocking for that ability to do something that we cannot do in our own power. Help us to love others the way we love ourselves. Help us to love others the way you love us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.